Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. We have two very special guests with us today, director screenwriter Vikramaditya Motwani and director screenwriter Atul Sabarwal. Most recently Vikramaditya Motwani has directed and Atul Sabarwal has written the screenplay for the brilliant series Jubilee and uh, we're excited to have a conversation with them about period dramas, how historically accurate they should be and unpack this in the context of Jubilee. So to start off with let's ask everyone how historically accurate do you think a period drama should be? This is Shrishti your host by the way. Hi I'm Atul See, there are two things to a historical drama, so to say. One is the facts of history, but not every history is fully recorded. You know, there are a lot of gaps within every decade, every event. And it's when we read history in school or through non-fiction books, it's essentially uh, covers events, you know. Uh, like, for example, let's take the mutiny of 1857, you know, you have the siege of Meerut and the breaking down of the police thana and the chauki in the Chora Chauri Khan, but you don't know what the people went through, what the conversations uh, were happening on the street, in the bazaars, among the policemen, among the mutineers. And that is where the role of the informed, responsible fiction comes in to make those guesses. So it has to be accurate on the facts as best it can be towards the recorded facts. But then it has to also be aware of the fact that not everything could have been recorded to the best of its uh, possibilities back then. And there you have to take responsible but informed guesses. That's what my theory on this is. Hi, I'm, I'm Vikramaditya Motwani. I'm the director of Jubilee. And um, to answer your question, Shishti, um, I think some of what Atul said in the sense that you have to take responsible guesses. Um, but I, I, I generally feel that there is um, a responsibility towards the material always kind of first and then whatever is the best way of being able to convert that without being incorrect in some of the things that you do. But at some point in time, there is um, a certain amount of like, you have to put a bit of a line between like what is extremely accurate, especially because you're talking about something that happened 75 years ago already, uh, if not more. Um, and to actually have someone to accurately tell you every single small little detail in a very, very specific way is almost next to impossible. So yes, whatever is well-researched in terms of, of course, the standard stuff of, you know, shop fronts and cars and clothes and technology will, of course, be exactly, you know, or just 99% of what you do uh, will um, will be there. But when it comes to the accuracy of, is it 100% the way people spoke back in the day? Honestly, I don't know. I don't think Atul also knows. Uh, it's the most educated guess that we can end up taking is the fact that, but there is where also I think a creative um that's your that's your creative voice that kind of comes in and says that look this is the way we want to be able to tell it we don't want it to be obtuse we don't want people to get thrown off by the use of guesswork of what language might or might not have been so you you that's where you're creating your own imaginary world within an an existing framework of reality and i think that's when then you stick to that as your as the rules that you set up for yourself you know using your research and what you know and a little bit of what you guess um, and then kind of create that. 
those were some super interesting insights Thanks. on this question and to start off with let me let all the listeners know that this episode is going to be full of spoilers so if you haven't watched the show watch the show and then come back and listen to the rest of this episode but uh, the question that i wanted to start with was um, actually asking you about how did you decide to locate the show in the period from from 1947 to 1953 and um, why did you make the decision to have uh, you know the post partition riots be such a big part of the storytelling along with uh, the main backdrop which is of um bollywood being set up at that time okay. vic you made that decision first so i think you should go first so i think um couple of things i think one one was the fact that um um there is a certain amount of you know uh, a love and a certain amount of uh, uh respect and sort of like pedestal placing that 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 we do with the with the, with the golden era what we now call the golden era of of the movies in the in the 40s 50s i think there's a certain amount of uh, the fact that they they were in a sense the pioneers of filmmaking as we can like know them the ambitious storytelling um the style of storytelling the 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 heroes that we had which were born you know in that era which the giants that span the generation that have kind of influenced pretty much everybody as we you know and we're still living in their shadow in a sense um i think there was a a really intrigue about being able to tell that a story in that world um that almost you know is like imagine mad men in in you know 50s indian movie industry since so you take it that's your like almost like your one line starting point it sort of comes from there um so there yeah i think there was that um uh that was the main sort of like starting point almost made it feel like okay this feels like you're in a slightly ethereal world that you're in a world which you don't know which is not you know something that you can sort of like access and sort of like touch too closely it, it gives you a chance to be able to come all the way maybe gives you a chance to maybe do 40 years of the story um but at least as a starting point it's nice to be able to jump into something which is you know just um, cinematically interesting it's it's cinematic but it's also about cinema it's also about you know a a a moment in time as well that matters to sort of like all indians and um and then there's i think the partition stuff which um for me makes it interesting because it puts the it puts the story in in a in a definite moment in time as far as um we are concerned as far as indians are concerned and also our characters are concerned gives a character so much more than just being a very elitist movie kind of thing well, i'll talk about that more because the partition is something that you know we brought in uh, so i think the decision to include partition and uh, the harking back a bit to chicago radio and the motwanis was something that i wanted to bring in when i read the first synopsis because for two reasons a i felt that you know those things are not uh, covered much in our uh, popular medium if you talk of partition i think the only two things that come to mind is govind uh, govind nilani's tamas and ramesh sethi's buniyad uh, extraordinary television shows also you know partition is interesting because though it's our equivalent of holocaust coming out of the second world war and india gaining independence but the survivors of partition which also are my grandparents on both the sides on the maternal and paternal side we as the i am the third generation we don't have like you have a holocaust museum like you can go to auschwitz and 
see what your ancestors were put through in there. Uh, where do where do my uh, or the children of the partition survivors can go? It's all on the border. Who lost? Whose body? Where? In which train you were cut up? Who was raped? Where? Those things don't exist for the survivors of partition. You know, they only had oral history. And those oral histories were actually the museums for the second and the third generation. So when Vikram came with this, and since it was set in that time on the, you know, just on the cusp of the independence, I felt it's important to include partition in there rather than uh, just do a film industry story and what people were going through creatively. Or just have a very cosmetic period as a, and a visually rich period as opposed to contextually rich period. And when you talk of that, so there is one side of uh, uh, the refugees, but there's other side of the nation building, you know, and people who were coming out of like, I don't know how people perceive Jotwani as on screen now in the rendition of a fictional avatar. But for me, those people, whether right or wrong, took their role in the formation of a nation very seriously. You know, they wanted to set certain rules, certain value systems, uh, and Chicago Radio and the Motwanis being, uh, you know, they had this interaction continuously with the Prime Minister and the powers to be. When the Britishers were in the power, they set up this whole radio club thing to counter the communication system so that the, uh, the, the, the revolutionaries could communicate with each other. There's a fantastic book on it now called, I think, Congress Radio. So if the film industry had to be seen within the context of that. And that is what I felt, you know, the scope had, uh, the show had the scope to include all that and make it a little more richer than it already was. Interestingly, my grandfather is a 91-year-old partition survivor and I recommended the series to him and he felt that it was really accurate to the time that he lived through. I also wanted to ask about this question of uh, historical context when it comes to characterization. How much did you have to take that into account, especially when it came to characters like um, Nilofar Khodeshi or Sumitra Kumari, where, uh, you know, as performers and as uh, women actors at that time, their stories do have a certain tragic arc. And yet you've taken the decision to give them um, a lot of agency in the way in the way that they um, live out their lives. So just, just wondering about how did you balance out context with narrative there? For me, when I'm doing a character, those concerns don't um, come in the way. As long as my characters can have grace and not do something chichora, I think that's where what my writing gravitates towards. There is never a, a struggle to make them balance out a context or anything. So I think, and I, that's where Nilofar comes from. She's already empowered in a very troubled world. world. And um, whatever situation comes, she handled it. But it's just that period in the life or in the history that just couldn't stop giving one raw deal after the other on the professional front and on the personal front. You know, that's what I felt was that because... If you look at all these characters, they're they're a little cut above the rest. They don't plead, they don't beg, they just want to live life on their terms. That's a common trait with all of them, whether for profit, valia, or for uh, creativity and ownership, which is Jay, or harboring a secret dream, but not being above knocking somebody senseless in the middle of a riot, which is Binod. 
so they are already a little cut above the rest and but but it's such a time in the history that it doesn't just stop giving them a raw deal at that you know so that's what my interest in these characters was so would you be comfortable talking about in a little more detail what in like what were the real life characters histories and incidents which inspired these characters you know there's been a lot of conversation about bombay talkies himanshu rai devika rani in the context of the story so um even with someone like nilofer for instance you know there's there's a lot about courtesan history and how courtesan shaped bombay cinema which we've also spoken to the historian ruth vanita about for instance so just wondering how uh, you know if you could tell us a little bit about the references that went into that or the real life stories that were connected to these so to be honest i think you'd be more well read on that front than i'd be because i don't dive into the material i did not on this show dive into the material like that i just went with the fact that okay there was a collapse of the monarchies at the time of the independence the monarchies were the patrons of the courtesans and once the monarchies were cancelled and the privy purses came in the the courtesans would have had to fend for themselves and there is enough historical evidence to show that some of them landed up in bombay and became actresses that's the only line i had what the attitude a courtesan would have like there can be courtesans and then can, there can be other courtesans you know everybody may not have the same attitude but i just wanted to create something that somebody she who's not apologetic at all about her origins because she didn't choose her place of birth but that won't mean that she's going to take it as a as an unfair deal so she just takes it what what she's been given and builds something out of that and uh, also there is no way of knowing uh, uh, what real himanshu rai was or what devika rani was what everybody has been comparing these characters to because we are a far removed from that history and we have never had unless you interact with a person one on one you can never have that impression so coming back to what i started uh, this conversation with is then you have to take informed guesses and informed guesses where you can understand a certain emotions within your limited understanding of human character and human beings and that's the fusion you know i i just also have the both me and vic have the privilege of living in 2023 as opposed to 1947 so some of that privilege is definitely going to bounce back on how these characters were shaped and that is something one has to control so that you don't become too aware of history that has already happened so that your con- characters continue to live through it unaware and unguarded it's so interesting that you've put that dilemma front and center because that's such an important one about like how we look at history in retrospect versus how our characters are supposed to live through them um i'm also sort of curious to know uh in terms of reference points for the show and generally um is there a period drama that made agitated you as a consumer with like its inaccurate depiction of the time period and was there one where you felt it was really well done and that inspired the way in which you um approached or wove together this period drama oh wow um no i mean there's a <laughs> the the thing is that eventually i i again again because we don't we don't know we don't know the answer um as to what is what is truly authentic so i think it ends up becoming a question of um of really what writer director creator everybody you know your entire crew is kind of putting together as a as a vision for um 
I, I, I feel there's a tendency, in, and I, and I, I can't be specific, but there's, there's a tendency for you know Indian movies, especially. But it happens internationally as well. Is that to take the periodness of their period drama a little too seriously? So if it's India, there'll be the 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 kurtas will be extra khadi and extra starched, and everybody will be wearing a Gandhi topi, and the language will be a very flowery Urdu, uh, which kind of like okay, it's screaming period, which. For me personally, is not something that I, I, it, it really makes me feel. You know, oh, this is, um, that's something that I have an affinity towards. Uh, and on the other hand, you have something like um, Steven Soderbergh's The Nick, um, you know, which is a medical drama, you know, in I think early twentieth century New York, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is all, you know, extreme. He's done it in an extremely modern handheld style, you know, which. In the first video, like this is so in, incongruous to what you expect out of period dramas, but it completely works because there is, there is, you know, um, he's doing it because he wants to be able to convey a certain emotion with his characters and that kind of stuff. So I, um, I, I, I can't. It's so much of it is about context, so much of it is about the material, so much is about what the director and the writers want to end up saying in, um, in, 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 uh, in, in that um, moment. Yeah. So, but generally, I mean, anything that anything for me that screams period for me is just like uh, you know where your characters take a back seat and your designing is taking a front seat. I mean, for me, that just doesn't work. So. I think I think for me it was closer home. Bunyad and Tamas are two shows which cover that. I think also I was very much taken in by John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, which is a novel and then later made into a movie. And I remember I. And many years ago, I'd read a book called uh, Nudist on the Late Shift by Poe Bronson, which is about a lot of people coming to Silicon Valley to try their luck. And in the introduction to that book, Bronson compares his own book thematically to Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. And that is what is there in the popular medium or the books and movies of the West, that they cover their migrations very well, you know, the human movement whether it's due to the world war and the Holocaust or due to people leaving the East of the America and coming to West in grapes of wrath. It is because of the drought in the East and people moving towards California or in uh, Bronson's book, people from all over the world coming to Silicon Valley to try their luck and what they go through in their initial years and what different kind of characters are there. I think that was a template for me. Like if this could be a, Film industry, Hindi film industry's grapes of wrath. Too big a name to take, but that's the goal or the benchmark I've set for myself. I also want to go back to something that you said, Vikram, which is, um, you know, you hate it when the periodness is is very overt in storytelling, and especially when it comes to let's say language and dialect uh, with a period story. Um, that can get really tricky, right? And we know that Meera Nair as a suitable boy, for instance, had faced a lot of criticism for the accent with which the character spoke um, in English in that BBC series. Um, but then, you know, the makers defended the choice, saying that that's probably how uh, Indian spoke in English at that time. Um, so just wondering about, uh, was there ever a conversation with language, uh, with your film, with your characters? And also, on a related note, where did this catchphrase of Madan Kumar Behenshod come from? And um, was the idea that it would be this sort of recurring catchphrase, was that something that was written in? Or did that come about because, uh, you know, let's say Ram Kapoor 
or did that come about because of Ram Kapoor's original delivery of that dialogue and then you decided to keep it uh, or have it keep coming back? So it was definitely written in. I think the, I, I wrote it for the first time only in the cinema hall when he sees Jamshed Khan's test and he applauds saying Madan Kumar Bhain Chod. But then Vikram said, I want this line every episode in different, <laughs> <laughs> different in conveying different emotions. So in episode two, then it becomes the shock of this guy being Madan Kumar. So, and I think once Ram took it, that's where a great actor comes in. He made it his own and he sort of, you know, had the multiplying bacteria of Benchod's uh, making a full yogurt out of it. So, yeah, it was... But but to answer your question in the larger context, because certain people have online, I think, been posting, tagging me, saying, did people abuse back then? So I have grown up listening to my grandfather and father using Benchot often. And I don't think that this is something they picked up in the 60s or the 70s. It must have traveled with them. So what's the origin of it? In which century exactly Benchot was born? I don't know. But my guess is in 40s and 50s, it was definitely there. Your grandfather is 91. You should ask uh, him. <laughs> That's actually true. It's a, it's a writing for a book, Anthology of Indian Abuses. Sorry, Anthropology of Indian yeah, Abuses. Anthropology of Indian Abuses. Yeah, Abuses. I should do that. But, but that's what I just stuck to the way my grandfather spoke. Uh, and uh, especially for Walia on my father and uh, you know especially in their in their workspace because that's where you usually see Walia you never see Walia's personal family and uh, also I've seen a lot of old timers in Hindi film industry you know and the, the certain way of talking which is very common especially among the Punjabi businessmen or the Sindhi businessmen which is because of the partition most of the migration which happened into Bombay was from the synth because that was the, the sea route was the closest. And it's, I think, a common cuss word between Punjabis and Sindhis. You know, it becomes a little different when it goes to Bengali. So we just wanted to keep that language very natural. I don't know about suitable boy, but that also happens. You know, there's a, there's, there are merchant ivory films which wear their periodness on their sleeve and they're beautiful. But then they're done with those actors who are so well entrenched within the English theatre, they have that command over language. When Indians are doing that accent for period, especially in English, they are wearing it on as an external costume. They don't inhabit it. Unfortunately, because we don't have that culture of theatre anymore, what uh, Alec Padamsi would have done or Alkazi Saab would have done or uh, uh, you know Shakespeare Wala as a group, Mr. Kendall's group would have done. So I think they suffer from that problem, perhaps. I haven't seen Suitable Boy, so I won't be able to comment. But that, because we were not doing our show in English, it was in Hindi, with a part of Bengali and Sindhi thrown in. Those were, and mostly Hindustani, which people uh, call Urdu, but it's actually Hindustani. So we stayed within that realm without having to worry about sounding periody. I think it also comes from the fact that we don't. Uh, I always find it very awkward when I have English, when Indian actors talk in English. I think there is just that, and maybe it's just um, even though we talk in English all the time, we're doing it right now. I just feel that when you see actors doing it, maybe there's a certain amount of like clarity in, in enunciation that they need to do, which makes it sound a little bit unnatural. 
I know that there is a it's that uncanny valley of not being able to watch. You know, I, I, I've never got used to the idea of watching. Um, and, and I think I, I know, and, and I know I'm not alone in that. I know there's a lot of people I know who actually like have that same problem of watching Indian actors speak in English for an entire film. You know, it just makes it feel. Yeah, absolutely. I think even uh, the mix of Hindi and English and how we speak that's also even though it's it's much more natural to us when we're speaking off screen on screen it often translates very awkwardly when we watch um i also wanted to ask as an aside uh, and i had to ask this about valia's character who's probably my favorite character from the show uh, but what makes him such a progressive man like where does his world view come from because he's the only character who unlike jay khanna and madan kumar doesn't um doesn't berate doesn't berate nilo for for sleeping with multiple men and doesn't bring up that fact with her constantly and seems quite comfortable with the fact that multiple men are pursuing her and she is engaged sexually and romantically with multiple people so where did this progressiveness in valia's thinking really come from i think valia for to my mind never mixes pleasure with emotion so as long as she's with him and there is a pleasure in it it's fine once she's not he's not going to go through heartburn he can find another nilo for maybe not as good looking maybe not as vivacious but there are other you know there is his his hard on is money his his aphrodisiac is money and profit he's not going to sit and cry over a woman going to some other man so and he's been in this industry much longer there were certain dialogues which are there which have been cut out so he knows the practicality of it i think there was a dialogue there which uh, we have removed which talked about how uh, unfortunately heroines have to do extra shifts more than the their male uh, actors which is the farmhouse shift and the guest house shift and the all that i hope that doesn't sound very condescending but uh, or it is respectful but that those dialogues were removed because of the length stuff but that's what that's the mindset valia comes from it's not a reflection on the industry or what we think but yeah we also had that scene that we removed for, for again for length um, where uh, in episode 6 nilofer is very very pissed and she's coming she comes back into the makeup room and she's um she's really angry at jay khanna because of the way he talks and blah 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 and he's like it's like things is filming It's just Valia in that moment, and the only reason I missed that scene is just because it's a, it's a, it's what you're picking up on is that that what's what's Valia's philosophy. I think that scene kind of verbalized his philosophy, and you find that Valia is a philosopher actually, and you know, at uh, in his heart, and he talks about kismat, and you know, <laughs> turns it into a okay, uh, brain job and hand job. <laughs> so, yeah. so he said, "Pandit, sirf haath mein aur maathe pe kismat kyun dekhte hain? Yogi haath mein." मेहनत करने की ताकत है और माथे में दिमाग है टू मेक डिसीजंस एंड दैट इज व्हाट ऑल किस्मत इज ब्रेन जॉब एंड हैंड जॉब दैट्स विद इन हिज लिमिटेड इंग्लिश या एंड देन नेलोफा थ्रोस हिम आउट दैट वाज द सीन बट यू यू कैन गेट वाले फिलॉसफी इन दैट वन मोमेंट के ही इज लूजिंग मनी ही इज ब्लीडिंग मनी दिस गाय इज नो लाइक दिस डायरेक्टर इज बीइंग एन एक्ट्रेस यू and there's another scene that i miss for this philosophy not so much of the for the foresight that he has about business which is the which was supposed to be the very last scene of valia in the show when venod is alone and he comes and and he's indecisive whether he should betray roy or not is when valia comes to him and he shows uh, roy is standing next to jay and he says roy sahab ke haath to kanoon se bhi lambe hain itne lambe ke aasman se sitara tod lete hain and then he tells him how studios are going to end and stars are going to be on the rise so you should 
break free and be the star that you are. So yeah, that's one scene that I miss as a like a nice bookended closure to Walia. Yeah, that's where the director and the writer is kind of like differ. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but this is so interesting. I think Walia can have his own series uh, based of the show, like the Walia's origin series. Srishti, don't tempt me. I was. <laughs> Which is absolutely right. Walia, Walia, kind of like. Yeah, Vikram loves Better Call Saul, so we might just do a whole Better Call, Better Call Walia. <laughs> better Call Shamsheer. <laughs> <laughs> better Call Shamsheer. <laughs> I would definitely watch that show, and I'm sure many others would. Um, I'm also curious to know that there's a very definite thread in the show about the philosophy of life and death, and how responsible do you hold someone for somebody else's death, right? Um, and that plays out through Jay Khanna, Madan Kumar, and Jamshed Khan and both of their entanglement in Jamshed Khan's death, right? Um, and I remember a friend and I also discussing that probably any of us in that situation would have done the same thing as what Jay Khanna did, which was to save his own life. Um, and how far do you hold Madan Kumar responsible? So uh, was that a very conscious way in which the story was built out? Uh, was there ever a different version of events in how they were involved in the death? Or um, is this just me over-intellectualizing things? That's actually no. It's an it's an excellent question because the script was a little bit uh, different from from what we actually shot. The script um, that we had had um, the the car is on fire. I mean, he he takes his name as as you know as Binod, and the car's on fire, and he's trying to get him out uh, of the car, and he says then he says Binod, and that's when um, he punches him so there is a moment that you see of binod trying to save jamshed as a as a natural humanitarian and then correct no Arthur, that was how it was no? i think so i vaguely remember this is yeah. three years ago but i no, mean it was considered as a humanitarian gesture or for roy but yeah it turns around when he says binod because binod is until then not aware that he's seen the slip so it's that it's a it is when when you know we were doing it i just I thought it was very interesting to create a certain amount of you know grayness, which is even more in that sense gray for for him to be able to. He's actually standing there, nobody around. He's that dilemma of you know, which just makes it come. We also realized that when we were shooting with Apar, that there's a certain amount of um, there's a certain creepy kind of you know um, uh, thing he's got, which I saw like when we were shooting the scenes the first time when he's throwing all the the, the film into the fire and mm-hmm. there is when he's saying the lines by himself is almost a you know there's an alter ego hiding somewhere, um, which I thought was very interesting. I thought that was something that so even when he walks back and that the the, the 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 complete deliberation of that scene of walking away and then walking back and looking at Jamshed and him saying Binod and then. And then that surge of anger, is it anger? Is it desperation? Is it just, you know, an instinctive reaction? I think, and I kind of like that. I like the fact that it's actually gray. You kind of make up your own mind about what you feel about Binod rather than us tell you too much. But she was also asking about Jay being there. Ah, no, no, you're absolutely right. You're, you're, what you're saying is absolutely right. Like, would Jay, I think there is a, there is a, he probably, he, and he does, right? Until the point of time in episode Ten, they, he and Binod, of course, never speak about it. They will. It's the shared history that they will never end up um, uh, speaking about. It's not until he's put, he's in a sense justified his actions by saying that, of course, I couldn't go out there and sort of like do anything to Jamshed, even though 
Nilofa asks him afterwards that why didn't you go save him? That's the first time he admits the fact that I was, you know, um, that I was scared. Um, and it, it brings up a really interesting point that Atul makes in the script is that, you know, how would people react? And your entire court case literally hinges on the fact that you are now a hero to the people. How would people react if they realized that the hero was a coward once upon a time? And uh, I think it's beautiful the way it's, Planted in a sense as a as a very um, you know uh, 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 it's not a, it's not a simple moment. It's a very very complex moment for Jay at that point in time to be able to go out and put his life on the line and you know all that sort of stuff. But when when it comes down to like literally a thing that did you were you were you not able to do a heroic act in the moment and your entire life and career depends on that one kind of thing. I think that was a great it's a fantastic payoff um, dramatically. You know, so. One, that's one scene has been discussed because that was among the first episodes that was written and how breadcrumbs were left for the last episode from within that scene, you know, a car which is reversing, photographs which emerge out of it, two people being there, not one. So even if one has deliberately killed it, what about the friend who ran away from there? You just tie in these two heroes, screen heroes, so to say, and how they reacted or acted in that moment is the inquiry one has to do. And I don't think our intent was by the 10th episode to have a clear-cut answer, but just to throw in that as a question that if they were in this situation and their screen image is diametrically opposite of what that situation was, how will they grapple with it in their life and how will they justify it to the public in the end? And then as Roy says, spectacle, the public yeah, that's that's so true. And we see that play out in a lot of contexts um, in the news and otherwise. Um, finally, I think coming to uh, the piece of the puzzle, which forms a huge part of like the chess pieces in the background of your historical setup, which is uh, Soviet and American intervention in filmmaking at that time. So I wanted to pose this question to the two of you as filmmakers, which is that if you were in the place of Jay Khanna and uh, Binod Kumar and uh, the Soviets offered you money, but you know, you had to make films which sold their propaganda in a way. Would you take up that chance or would you resist it the way Roy did? And we kind of know what fate he met um, in a sense because he did that. Okay. So <laughs> there is no uh, yes or no to that. I, I'll just give you an example. Have you seen Romantics recently on Netflix? Yeah, I have. Which also touches upon how these... Uh, uh, American corporations and the studios were coming in in the earlier 90s and how one studio had chose to react to that and took steps so that he's not swallowed up in a merger acquisition position uh, on that. So it wasn't much different for Roy. You know, if you compare the two people acting in uh, basis, what the foreign powers want out of them. That is the business part of it. Now, once you come to the ideology of what that, those powers uh, want out of you, so I guess there is a certain level of compromise which is admissible. To give you a very vague example, then when China opened up as a market for Hollywood films, every major person had a, Chi a major director also had a Chinese character in their movie, you know, taken from a Chinese uh, industry. Michelle Yeoh was in a James Bond movie, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, much before this happened. And there are, there are many, many examples of that. You know, when, a, when there is money to be made, 
people who are good at making money they make money through those stories and that there's a admissible uh, or the agreeable compromise that they do then comes the disagreeable compromise which again then it comes to the individual case and i think i would fall within the bracket that i won't do a disagreeable compromise because i won't be able to deliver it convincingly to the screen you know so that's what i look at it that a little bit of agreeable compromise is is something that every filmmaker has been through because eventually unlike writing a novel or painting a uh, painting a painting you have to you know rely on money and where that money is coming from and sometimes you don't you stop yourself from acting subversive not by doing something propagandish but some not doing something against the propaganda which is in the prevalence that's also a part of the compromise only so yeah for well, in a way i mean some of the greatest renaissance art is also propaganda so i mean who's to i would probably do what jackanna does ke main bejo aur pehle banaunga uske baad mein dekhunga main रणवीर सिंह किसमेंटरीटेलिंग This podcast is brought to you by TS Studios, the production company that brings the Swaddle's creative point of view to original podcasts and films.